Highways Voices, the podcast of Highways News, your one-stop destination for all the news about the highways and transport technology industries and our must-read daily newsletter. It's Highways Voices time again, where we get to the core issues in the highways and transport technology industries. And this week, we're talking enforcement. You earn compliance and you earn respect rather than you demand it. We run a 24-7 recorder on all of our cameras everywhere. The data actually leaves the camera and goes into two different directions. I think there's a benefit to ensuring a proper cadence of new technology into the marketplace. Our main highways voice is Jeff Collins of Unoptic, an enforcement forum chair at ITS UK. I won't force you to listen to the next half hour, just thoroughly recommend it. Highways Voices, the podcast from highwaysnews.com. So this is Paul Hutton with my colleague at Highways News, Adrian Tatum, for this latest Highways Voices from Highways News, the home of your daily midday briefing. And Adrian, what's caught your eye on our site this week? Well, good news. Uh, Government committing £500 million from its pothole fund for the latest round of allocations, but that comes with a warning from the local council's network that possibly allocations for general maintenance for for next year could be down as much as 400 million. So let's hope the Chancellor changes his mind on that. Paul Boss, Chief Executive of the RSTA, pointing out that surface treatments can help the pothole challenge as part of a more proactive maintenance regime. And also... Uh, in the recent couple of days, Adept has launched a toolkit for councils to transform the customer experience. So talking to local authorities about how they can communicate better with the, with the public. And the government is also set to review public sector framework. And the other stories that I've picked up, and I think the most interesting one we've run so far this week, is ITS UK taking up the baton of supporting SMEs who are waiting sometimes months and months to get paid for work by bigger tier one companies that have signed up to say they'll pay in 30 days and then they're just not doing that and it seems self-defeating for the industry if you're not funding the SMEs that are providing such a vital service if they're not going to be able to afford to innovate or even at worst actually go under that's got to be bad for all of us altogether. Yeah I would would tend to agree that I mean to the first lockdown period Highways England came out and issued notices to their supply chain saying that everyone should be paying their invoices on on, on a prompt basis uh, and Highways England did so themselves. Adrian, every day we put loads of stories onto Highways News and round them up in our daily midday briefings. Um, Should we get on with the uh, big interview of the uh, podcast? Yeah, let's do that. Highways Voices with Paul Hutton and Adrian Tatum. This week's Highways Voice is one of the UK's leading experts on enforcement, a subject that is key to keeping the roads safe and the traffic flowing. So Adrian and I are really pleased to be joined by Jeff Collins, Director at Unoptic and Chair of the ITS UK Enforcement Forum. So Jeff, thanks for joining us here on Highways Voices. Hello, everyone. Now, a story that's hit the papers this week has been about a bloke who, how can I put it, uh, gestured with both hands at a speed camera. And even though he was going slower than the limit, 
he's got fined for it because he wasn't in control of his vehicle. So you can come up with all sorts of words to describe him. But I think the issue here is that it's made all the papers because there are still a significant number of people who see enforcement cameras as a bad thing. Now, why is that? Well, I, th I think um, th there's a mixture of the perception of the individual and then the way that the, the technology and enforcement technologies are presented to the public, both by the operators and by the media. I read that article and it, and it did infuriate me a little bit, I'll be, I'll be honest, because the particular article presented him as something of an urban hero. And he was uh, standing up for the common man by um, raising two one-fingered salutes to the, um, to the camera. So the article was that he'd been fined for swearing, which obviously defines hands gestures as swearing, which is a, an, an interesting approach. My view is that he's not an urban hero here because apart from anything, it wasn't a camera that he was making these gestures at. It was a human operator. So it was someone actually operating the vehicle at the side of the road. He then for a 200 meter period was driving his vehicle with no hands on the steering wheel while gesturing at the operator. But the bigger issue for me is the way it was presented in the media as what he did was was reasonable, fair and appropriate, because I don't think it I don't think it is part of the ongoing issue that we as an industry have is to make sure that enforcement technologies and techniques are viewed as appropriate and reasonable. Yeah, because it's not a war on motorists. It's a war on bad driving. Absolutely. Bad driving, bad driving behaviours and things that make the road worse for other people. And I think that's one of the one of the things that needs to be addressed by the, the operators of technology is to make people appreciate why something is happening rather than it's just a, a blind autonomous thing at the side of the road. You earn compliance and you earn respect rather than you demand it. So maybe if you compare it to a, a village bobby who would never be considered to be aggressive, but people respect what they're doing and the way they're working rather than maybe a, a paramilitary who's got a gun at his hip and carrying a truncheon. It's a different kind of respect that you have there. And my personal view is that if you earn respect rather than demand it, you actually get more of a compliant behavior that is appropriate and achieves what you actually want to do. Now, the other side of the coin that doesn't get as much coverage in the national press, but when you search through speed cameras, uh, as I do every day on one of my Google alerts, um, you do see a lot of local councillors calling for speed cameras on one particular stretch of road where there is a, a, a serious road safety issue. So as far as it's concerned, in, in localised areas, people like cameras they like speed cameras where they live they seem to dislike them elsewhere but i do get the sense that as they're rolled out more and more and more and people are more and more used to them in fact the tide is turning and they are becoming more popular i think you're right and based on I, i've been paying attention for um 17 years that i've worked in the industry i paid attention before that and it's fair to say my view has changed in that time certainly before i worked within the industry um as to now but my experience of enforcement in a local area is that it's the opposite of nimbyism and that people often do like the concept of enforcement where they are because they can relate to why it's needed. For example, they know that someone was killed or injured two years ago on a particularly dangerous corner. They appreciate and understand that. And the local media 
buy into that approach as well. But if you were to take the same person, transport them 15 miles away, and they notice enforcement taking place, they possibly have a different view because they don't have the context. They don't have the understanding of why something might need to be there. And that's when cynicism comes into it a little bit more. But as with many things, I think there's a real balance between local, regional and national need because things are different in different areas and different locations. And there should be a drive that allows local issues to be addressed appropriately in the context of a wider national approach as well. And so we, we very regularly will be approached by local councillors or local campaign groups who absolutely demand something happens where they want something to be done. But that may be nowhere near as worthy as another location, which really does need an intervention, but no one is calling out for it. So there has to be a balance to make sure that this is done appropriately. And it ties into the context of people understanding what is happening, why it is being done and being appropriate. Jeff, you mentioned it's really important that public understand why and, and what's happening. Whose responsibility do you think it is to explain that? The primary responsibility for communication with the public should be the road authority for wherever some kind of an intervention is being put in. And it can sometimes get a little bit confusing because there are different types of authorities that are responsible. So you have strategic road authorities, for example, Highways England, then you will have a, a local authority which will be responsible for the local roads in their area. But you can have strategic roads that travel through local roads as well. So it um, local areas. So it can be a little bit confusing. But I believe it's the responsibility of that road authority to communicate what is happening, why it's happening, how it's being done, and without giving away every single detail, but just a clear communication path on why something like that is happening. And I, I've mentioned it before, but some really good examples are things that Transport Scotland do, where they will put up a, a dedicated website which relates to the project. And it has all of the history of the project, the data behind it, meetings that have happened, decisions that have been made, and then ongoing publishing of data, which basically justifies the reason that this is happening. And I have seen this work fantastically well on a number of projects, and I strongly advocate sharing data explaining why things are happening because when people understand and think oh that's why they then are more likely to comply and compliance ultimately is what you're trying to achieve and when people are complying the road is safer it flows better society benefits so in terms of enforcement's role with with road safety all the bad publicity recently has been been with smart motorways and motorways as being really dangerous. But the fact is that, that more people are, are injured and sadly killed on local roads than, than, than any of those roads put together. So what, what role do you see of enforcement on local roads moving forward in the future? It is a good point because there are enforcement systems on strategic roads, such as the smart motorway network. There's an awful lot of enforcement on local authority roads as well. And while strategic roads carry much greater volumes of traffic per kilometre of road, the number of journeys on local roads is substantially higher. And there are considerably more casualties and collisions which take place on local roads each and every day than there are on the strategic roads. But the exposure risk on any one particular section, it's a different order of magnitude because there may be a fraction of the volume of traffic on a local road compared to the strategic road. And so as a result, there is a lot of technology 
And, and sometimes it's a similar or a different technology, which is used on um, local roads in order to to manage the most significant casualty areas there. I want to bring in a clip of a chat that I had with Rob Kinch, Technical and Innovations Director at VideoAlert, because uh, one of the things that you often see in the papers that's a negative about enforcement is examples of when somebody pulled into a bus lane to let an ambulance go past, then drove out again and got a ticket for driving in a bus lane. And I kind of said to Rob that that seemed a very uh, self-defeating as far as getting the public on side. Uh, so I just want to play you what he had to say. If you've driven in a bus lane to get out of the way of an ambulance that's caning it down the middle of the road, so you pull into the bus lane, you just happen to drive through the exact spot the camera's looking at, and then you pull back in your lane because you're, you're a good guy. But in doing so, you triggered the system. If the video captured isn't of a suitable length, the operator that receives that cutout section of video may never have seen the ambulance. So in those instances, we run a 24-7 recorder on all of our cameras everywhere. So if that is of any truth, the video can be requested from the system. You know what, someone, at the point of arbitration, someone says this occurred, can you help us prove it? Well, we give you you know, 10, 20, 30 seconds of video anyway. So how slow is this ambulance would be my first question. But the, the data is available if they want to request it to look outside of the actual contravention video itself to determine if what the person is saying is true. Jeff, some of the suggestions that people have been almost unfairly treated, Rob was saying that actually in the real world, there are checks and balances in place to make that happen. Is that something you've found in your professional life as well? Absolutely. And there can always be a credible reason why something that may appear to be one thing is actually another. It's a truism that if the vast majority of detections are correct and accurate, and just a tiny, tiny proportion of them actually turn out to be wrong, that is the thing that will get talked about and will be remembered. And there'll be an assumption within the public that it, it's unfair. And there's a good chance that it'll catch you doing something that was the right thing to do um, for the wrong reason. So yes, the, the vast majority of schemes I've ever been aware of, there will be a clear way to make sure that unusual things like that can be filtered out, hopefully automatically before anyone even needs to get to a review stage. But it's really important to understand that it does stand up on its own right and any evidence captured will prove that the thing you're trying to detect is the thing that has been detected. I think my biggest bugbear is when I'm driving through a set of average speed cameras, and especially you see this on motorways where you're brought down to 50 or sometimes even 40. And so you're driving along at that speed and you've got people whizzing past you in the outside lane. And you think to yourself, well, maybe I hope they're going to get a ticket for that. And um, why can't we have as part of the reinforcing the attitudes about enforcement big signs up at the end of an average speed section saying 67 people have been caught speeding in the last hour you don't have to put their reg numbers up but just that number of people will make other people think oh actually this is serious i'm going to stick to the limit human nature is that we probably want to comply if we feel that we might be caught and we feel good about complying when we're doing it for the right reason and so we become riled if we think someone else is not doing the right thing. It's like um, queuing and everyone's queuing a lot at the moment and, and watching someone cut in at the last minute. It makes you really 
quite cross. And so you want to know um, what is actually going on. But I, I have a view that it's not a great idea to directly identify the number of people who have been detected on any kind of enforcement system. And the reason being is that for, for whatever reason, we've, we've monetized uh, enforcement, certainly in the media. So rather than talking about traffic flows have been much better through the city center or casualties have dropped dramatically in this area, the default media position will be 10,000 people have been captured. That has raised one million pounds for this particular local authority or this particular highway authority. And it, it monetizes the reason the equipment has gone in. And the cynic in everybody then believes that that's the only reason that the equipment is being operated. So many, many years ago, we did have an average speed system which would display the number plate of anyone which had been caught going too fast. But the danger is you're then directly communicating to the drivers who are doing something dangerous. And there's a chance you can influence people's behavior by doing that. Similarly, I think if you were to publish the number of people who have been detected or captured, one, there's the negative approach of monetizing it and putting a value to it. But two, there's also, it's potentially exposing the way you're operating the, the equipment or the operational model. Now, one real advantage of any kind of enforcement system is if it's not entirely clear what is happening, people tend to be wary. And when people are wary, they're a little bit more careful. Whereas if you are exactly explaining how something is working, people usually try and figure out a smart workaround or determine that's not working, therefore I can do whatever I like. So personally, I'm, I'm not keen in publishing in real time detection rates and violation data in that way. Fair enough. Uh, do you want to hear what uh, your counterpart at Video Alert, Rob Kinch, has to say about that? Because I asked him a, a similar question when we caught up. I don't think the info should go on our board, but I think that data should be freely publicly available to help justify this is here because. Almost down to a daily. Hey, we got 67 people yesterday. And it might help justify that argument if you can say, look, this data is published daily. This is the problem we're trying to fix. The biggest reaction we have from local residents, 99% of them are positive, but the 1% that hates you on site is the guy that has a problem with the council because he didn't know it was coming and it impacts them. So Rob basically saying it, it could be part of a PR exercise to actually justify the value of having a system in place if 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 you don't think that then 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 what are the ways that we can really get the pr i would go back to the the point that if you explain why something is being done and you justify the reasons behind what is being done you are more likely to bring the vast majority of people on side to understanding so he mentioned one percent of people will be violently against it there will always be some people who don't care what they read or how it's presented they will have a very very strong and firm view but i'm firmly of the opinion that if if you explain what is being done and why you are going to have a groundswell of support and the, the majority of people will be with you and it's very much and i referring back to the um the scottish example as well that huge route we did on the a9 more than 200 kilometers of, of cameras there was a lot of uncertainty when that project was initially launched there was a facebook site with 10,000 followers that were saying that this enforcement technology was not the answer and how it was going to be detrimental to the scottish economy and all of the awful things that were going to happen but i 
I personally believe that directly as a result of the clear communication and publishing appropriate information before and after, and rather than the number of fines issued, the ratio of people who were above a certain speed before compared to above a certain speed after. So real data, not, not monetized data. And I think that data allowed the majority of people to actually appreciate and understand it was working and it was being done for a reason. And it, it is, it's easier when you are talking about casualties because very few people would justify you should allow more fatalities or you should allow these casualties to happen. And when you can actually see the numbers coming down substantially and in a sustained way, it really helps the argument. And it takes away the, the fuel from anyone that wants to write a, a negative approach and then perpetuate a belief that it's being done for the wrong reason. Well, you mentioned about the pandemic and us queuing a lot at the moment. One of the projects I've been working on when I'm not doing Highways News, Jeff, is the Transport Technology Forum weekly update on uh, traffic flows in local authorities. And it struck me when all this started that you've got probably a wealth of knowledge coming from your network of AMPR cameras across the country that is just almost being thrown away because I remember being in the ITS World Congress in Melbourne a few years ago and talking to your Australian colleagues about how the same camera systems that they, you've got here are used there not only for speed enforcement but also for things like journey time monitoring and in the case of what would have been extremely useful during the early days of the pandemic and even now origin destination data because I live near the A120 in Essex a Unoptic camera could pick me up within two miles of my house but it could also pick me up somewhere in south wales if that was where i was ending my journey and obviously with suitable uh, privacy checks in place you could learn an awful lot about transport movement around the country why can't we be using all this network of infrastructure for a lot more knowledge to help us manage the roads better it is a very good point and as you will have uh, appreciated already it is not a technological challenge that is something which is known, proven, and can operate now. So, for example, we, we have um, one large police force area which has hundreds of police ANPR cameras, but they're also local authority journey time cameras. So the data actually leaves the camera and goes into two different directions and is managed and handled in a, in a different way, with the advantage being there's only one bit of equipment one bit of equipment needs to be maintained, one communication network which, which needs to be used. So the data is absolutely there and virtually every device which is being delivered these days can capture more and richer information and you can enrich that information with further data sets as well. It gives you a huge amount of really useful data about what is happening on the road network in any given day, hour, minute, second. The challenge we have in the UK is that for a criminal enforcement device, and I'm differentiating between criminal enforcement, so speeding, and civil enforcement, for example, yellow box or a bus lane, because for the civil enforcement, you could actually use the data in other different ways as well. You can send the data off in, in different streams. But for the criminal enforcement, which is managed by home office type approval, regulations mean a device can only be used for one purpose at any one time. And the reasons and the justifications behind that, there is logic to them. And I do understand why that has been in place in the past. And I do think that one day that is going to change. 
when we're able to prove that the data can be safely accessed and used in a different way by a different device. But it's part of the the very conservative approach which is taken by the UK and by the Home Office is that if there is any margin for challenge, it is likely that a loophole lawyer will will use it. And so I think that is one of the underpinning factors behind why things haven't changed. I do think it will change, but I don't think it's going to happen rapidly. I've got an interview, actually, Jeff, uh, in the can for a future Highways Voices with the CEO of Redflex, Mark Talbot. But what I want Mm -hmm. to do is just pick one tiny bit of what he actually had to say, because you mentioned home office type approval. And uh, Mark lives in America, but runs a company that uh, operates out of Australia and he also has a presence here in the UK actually he made some interesting comments about HOTA so let's just uh, I'll just find that and play that in for us now. Look the home office is one of the more complicated approval processes it is very exacting it takes a great deal of effort from a vendor standpoint to ensure compliance and ensure a proper product I think there's a benefit to ensuring a proper cadence of new technology into the marketplace. Both sides benefit. The person receiving that that service or technology benefits because you tend to get a more efficient solution to avoid risk of obsolescence and the expense associated with carrying products that have gone into risk of obsolescence for less less available parts. But it's a significant risk mitigation for the agency and, and quite frankly, the evidence gathered by the technology. It's also a big market. There's high risk to get it wrong. You should have to have the highest hurdle in some of the more complicated markets. So there you go. So that's Mark Talbot from Redflex talking about home office type approval. Is it something that the industry, uh, obviously you're all rival companies, but do you get together and do you go and have uh, face-to-face orbs in these days, Zoom meetings with the powers that be to actually discuss how the, the rules can be changed to allow more flexibility? That is something which in the past has happened and uh, there have been collaborative groups that have tried to present a, a shared viewpoint to to the home office i think it's fair to say that is not happening at the moment due to a number of organizational issues which are going on within the government i would like to think we will come back to that at some point in future but this is not a fast moving dynamic area and and i fear that there is not likely to be change for the foreseeable future around that. Okay, so Jeff, do, do you have any experience of, of that process yourself and, and how that's gone in the past? As a company, we've put many devices through home office type approval and we know it can be challenging and it can take a very long time. An example is about two years ago, we received approval for our new Spot Speed product. And I think I may have spoken to you two gentlemen when we were up at the, the NEC around that time. And since then, we've been awaiting approval on the same device for a different application looking at red light. Now, fortunately, that is just about to come. We believe that should be with us in a matter of days, if not weeks. And it is going to allow us to have a, um, a non-invasive red light product, which is something the certainly the UK market is crying out for, because it means that we don't have to put loops in the road and we don't have to connect into the red signal. But it has taken a very long time to, to get to this point. The checks and balances needed were extremely rigorous. And then we had the challenge of lockdown. But um, yeah, we have... Red light at the end of the tunnel on that one. And what about the technology itself for enforcement, Jeff? Um, how far do you think we can take that in the future? And, and, and what are your plans moving forward? There are 
many new sensor type technologies which will allow a wider range of application to be done so hopefully adding a greater breadth to the capability at, at the moment enforcement is very much a one trick pony can you measure speed at this location have they stopped in a yellow box junction did they drive through a red light i think there is going to be more of a, a fusion of different types of sensors and different approaches and it touches on what paul was asking about home office type approval it does require on legislation and the legal side changing a little bit but i think there will be more appropriate sensors which capture a wider range of data and it's going to tie into the changing way we use our roads there will be more connected and autonomous vehicles in the near future and that is fundamentally going to have an impact on the way everything is managed and particularly around enforcement i'm just going to rewind the second jeff and suggest that we might have inadvertently got ourselves an exclusive here on highways voices about your uh, your red light product so i look forward to running an article about that on highways news when you're ready and able to tell us more about it so uh, yeah you've just signed up for an exclusive and anyone interested in this part of the market needs to be keeping an eye on highways news to uh, to read all about it absolutely Jeff Collins is Deputy Managing Director of Unoptic, and he's also an ITS and enforcement expert. And I think he's pretty much proved that over the last 25 minutes or so. Jeff, I think we've only really just scratched the surface of the topic. So uh, would you join Adrian and me on a future Highways Voices and we'll talk a bit more? I'd be very happy to. Thank you, gentlemen. That's excellent news. Thank you very much. And that brings to a close this edition of Highways Voices. Thank you very much to our guest Jeff and Adrian and I will join you again next week with more chat from experts in the highways and transport technology industries. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. We're on all the main ones, so find which one you want and click on to subscribe. And remember to catch up with our daily news briefing every day at highways-news.com. For now, thanks for listening. We'll talk again next week. Highways Voices. Join us again next week for more insights from those that matter in the industry. Street.